Hi, uh, welcome to Downtime with Deets. Featuring Savvy. Uh, I'm not Deets. And I am not Savvy. Uh, uh, hello, I'm Savvy. Oh, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. Uh, I am Deets. Well, nice to meet you as well. <laughs> nice to meet you all, by the way. Uh, welcome, welcome. <laughs> this portion of the podcast is being re- recorded in Mokinstis, in Treaty 7 territory in Canada. Where we all happen to, well, not all, you you might be based somewhere else. Me and Savvy are based here. Careful with the overgeneralization. Us here with the mic in front of us? Yeah. This is where we happen to uh, maybe live. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. We live and be based out of. Um, hi. Uh, uh, introduce yourself. Uh, all right. Hi. Uh, I'm Savvy. Uh, I've lived here for the majority of my life. I have always been interested in the arts. I was an arts kid growing up and in school. I never ended up going to university for it, but I've always been a part of the performing arts scene and just always generally interested in arts. But my interests are vast and wide and you give me something that I find mildly interesting, I will learn about it for a good 20 minutes at least. <laughs> and um, what are your pronouns? Oh, uh, yeah. I use she, her pronouns. Um, yeah, we're chilling. We're vibing. And Deeds, tell me about yourself. Oh, okay, okay. Get ready for this. Okay, okay. Here okay. we go. Hello. My name is Deidre Solange Lattiser, who also happens to go by Deeds. I am a Métis artist based here in Mokinsis, as I earlier said. I also happen to be queer and neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. I use any and all pronouns. Excellent. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> okay, congratulations. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that actually is almost on every single one of my bios for any of the shows I've been in. Impressive. Yeah, for yeah. the last year or so. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of memorizing it. Congratulations. That's that's quite a hefty list of things of like knowledge that you have about yourself. <laughs> it's literally just who I am. <laughs> that's so fair. hard to memorize. Yeah, for me, it's probably, I like ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I am lactose intolerant. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Another thing you can hear about me, listeners. Okay. Um, before I was about to go on a tangent about oh. being lactose intolerant and how I actually poison myself on purpose oh don't do that <laughs> eating ice cream but uh we'll, we'll we'll not go into that we'll we actually have to explain to you all what this podcast even is and why you should continue listening to it please keep listening <laughs> yeah um do you wanna do you wanna uh yeah sure so uh downtime with deeds i believe we had come up with this idea it was you were we had had a phone call. Yeah. Because uh, we met uh, a while ago at work. and We met at work, and then years later, we had the phone call. The phone call podcast. of just kind of enjoying each other's company over the phone. And you had mentioned that you had done a podcast before, and that yeah. you were looking to do something like this again. Yeah, yeah. I had done a little university project podcast that wasn't... You know, it was just like a good time with me and a few of my friends. We talked about horoscopes a lot. Um, and since coming here in Mokinstis and starting my career, I had this idea that it would be great to do a podcast. I just didn't really want to do anything until like I had a theme or mm. I, I knew what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And yeah, I was telling Savvy about the old podcast and how lately I've been feeling like, you know, as an artist, I've been doing a lot of, I've been lucky to be involved in a lot of projects where 
I get to discover and learn a lot about many people. Most of the work I do is in storytelling. Duh, it's theater and music <laughs> and all that. Um, but it, it's in storytelling in telling your own story and listening to the stories of others. Uh, I do a lot of indigenous-led theater because I'm indigenous. <laughs> and in those moments, uh, I got the privilege to learn about so many different cultures and Blackfoot country and... I was able to help in putting these stories forward, but then I also realized how healing it is to not only listen to other people's stories and see yourself in through those stories and learn more about who you are, but it's also equally interesting and validating to tell your own story. So I was talking to Savvy and I was like, you know, um, in me being one of the first people in the arts community in my family, a lot of my family's stories don't really get heard. And in this like area of healing where I was learning, trying to learn more about myself, I thought the best way to learn about myself is to learn about the people around me who helped raise me. Oh yeah. So I, um, I was like, I think, I think the podcast will be centered around these interviews, these series of interviews I will first do with my own family. And, um, and get their stories out there. But then, like, if it were to grow, we could involve other people and other people's families. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you agree. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think that there's so many different viewing options and or there's just so many different perspectives and everyone has a different view on everything. And it's important that we all broaden our perspectives in the ways that... Uh, we generally don't view or things that we don't see in the same way as others and everyone has a different story to tell and many people don't get that chance to tell those stories because they're just either they don't have the community for it or it's just not an initiative or prerogative for them and it's important to hear people out as much as we can I think and sometimes it's a system implemented by the country you live in that took away your story. So, uh, as I said, I'm Métis, and a big part of my ancestry is my indigenous ancestry. And I realized a lot of me not knowing who I am, my family stories, and also me being the first in the industry to be in the arts in this very public way, is not because my family weren't storytellers or artists or these um, have these amazing, amazing histories to share. It was because... For a long time, for generations, we've been assimilated and trained not to know the worth of our own stories. So, yeah, so all this existential realizations <laughs> to lead to this conversation with Savvy about like a new potential podcast. And it's a lot of heavy stuff. So, I think a, a big portion of what we what I wanted to do and what Savvy helped me with, because Savvy actually named the podcast. We were just shooting the breeze and just coming up with different alliterations. And yeah, yeah, like... <laughs> to match the deeds. <laughs> downtime with deeds. Yeah, and, and, but like here's the thing, downtime, because sometimes when you talk about these very serious topics or get existential about your existence, it's high pressure and it's very like... It's intense. It's very intense and I wanted to be chill <laughs> yeah the, the downtime is important because you it's 
Sometimes these subjects of our history and our family's pasts can be rather traumatic and we need space to be able to breathe and have a downtime and maybe take breaks, have a water and take a little sip and just... We're both drinking water as we record this. (laughs) Take a sip and then just take a breather and listen to each other if we need to and say like, okay, I need to... I need to do this to let myself calm down and be able to understand and hear each other out. So that's how Downtime with Deeds featuring Savvy was formed. Actually, a really important part of this is when we first started talking about it, Savvy was just like helping me with like not the idea that they would be a part of it. It was just kind of like a me thing. And you were just giving me advice and supporting me as a podcast connoisseur. It was a you thing, and then it was an us thing all of a sudden. Yeah, Yeah, I I remember it went like this. I was like, hey, maybe you can be a co-host for some of the episodes. I said, sure, why not? And then I I started writing the grant, because that's what you do when you're a private contractor artist. You write grants to be able to afford things to projects. It's also to get, like, your your knowledge and your voice out there, too, right? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) And and when I was writing the grant at Savage, was concocting like a letter to um, be a part of it and also my interviewees that I had chosen was my paternal uncle and you know was were was continues to be yeah yeah, continues to be (laughs) Uh, my paternal uncle and my maternal grandmother and so um, they were writing me letters for the for the grant to show their support and how they were going to be a part of it Mm. and I asked Savvy to write a letter as a co-host and then as they were writing it and I was filling out the grant I was like do you want do you just want to be in every single episode well it just it made sense at that point because I just I I listened to a lot of podcasts and I just wanted to I don't know just be a part of it if yeah. I could be because you're being a good supportive friend yay but also lo and behold we're not just learning about my life or my family's lives you're also like opening yourself up to like share your own life story too oh yeah absolutely and it's because I've got I've had a pretty weird life sometimes but also in comparison to other people it's could say that it's rather tame but you know it it, potato tomato never should we compare traumas and pains and adversities but it's kind of natural at the same time for me to do that but it's also a way of learning and trying to experience things in our own ways I don't have a lot of knowledge of my family's history Mm -hmm. and so I guess I kind of yearn to understand what yours is like and what other cultures history is like because I, I want to know what that's like and just grow upon other people's knowledge. I have interviewed a few of my family members, knowledge keepers and artists. Well, I consider everyone an artist in some way, but like mm-hmm. knowledge keepers for the most part. And although I actively participated in those interviews, Savvy's hearing them for the first time. Yeah. I feel like I'm hearing them for the first time because these interviews I did were over a year ago. Yeah. So much has happened, so it's taken us a long time to get to this first recording. Yeah, life just ended up getting in the way of us producing this, Yeah, unfortunately, despite the fact that we were ready to go, but everything said, hey, how about we take a quick two-year break? We're trying to forgive ourselves for taking this long, but we're here. Our episodes will be centered around these uh, interviews with these two amazing people. They each get four episodes. Mm. Uh, if you want to get really particular about it, we will be reacting, maybe learning some things, 
in real time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's just, uh, it's a slow learning process because no matter what happens, even though you've already interviewed them and it's been some time, even reviewing what they said, you'll catch something mm. different each time because there's so much to learn in it's even like watching your favorite series over again. Yeah. Whether it's a certain laugh track or if it's how the music changes or it's the way that the actor stands. You'll see something different, but for us, you'll be hearing something different or we'll be just learning something each time in its own way. And for me, I'll also be not only reacting and hearing again what my uncle and grandma has have said, but also what I've said. Because I'm having a conversation with these people. And, and this is me a year ago. Yeah. And I have this, not really an issue, maybe a superpower, but I have so much, uh, as most people do, knowledge in this old brain of mine. And I sometimes do overgeneralization in terms of statements I make when I'm relating to someone. And I just want to also check myself. Because if I, if I make a statement back there from a year ago that was wrong and I do some research and I find it to be wrong, I'm going to let you know. Because, again, I, that's the process of learning. Yeah, it's growing. If you, you don't know everything. Yeah, and if you do, then I think that that's probably wrong. Because there's if you're still... If you say that you know everything then you aren't learning enough. Yeah, so you're really, like, this is, like, Inception-type podcast. <laughs> you're getting a bit too deep for me here. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting now in, the, in this oh, knowledge. Oh, my goodness. Well, okay, this is not the permanent format of this podcast. We grow and evolve. Yeah. As you're listening to us, we're going to evolve the podcast and try new things. Um, hopefully it'll be good. If not, you know, you can't really, you can't really call in because we're not a radio show. <laughs> we flow like water. We're going to change. Everything's going to shape. And depending on where we're going with it, we'll change to shape it or change <laughs> to fit the shape of the container. And there we go. What's great is like hearing us try and like not fumble on our words. But when we do. <laughs> oh, trust me. I fumble all the time. It's fun. I, uh, mo- mostly my closest friend. Uh, they correct my language and my grammar all the time because I don't have grammar check in real life. I don't have those little red squiggly lines. Yeah, yeah, I promise. I'm an educated human being. Um, I have those squiggly lines all the time in my own head and my eyes. Oh, this is gonna be wrong. fun for us. We're 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 gonna and it's all real. Either uh, way. Yeah. Okay, so I guess this is the part where I introduce our next si- segment, yeah. which we smartly called and smartly is a word I think. <laughs> Deeds discovering. <laughs> yeah, where you end up talking or doing the interview with uh, your family members and you're just getting to know them, getting their story out there. Um, yeah, my uncle is first up um, and I just want to share a little bit about who my uncle is. I won't tell you their name or anything because they'll introduce themselves in the interview. Oh, yeah. But I think like nothing tells you who a person is, but by their action. So, this is my uncle, and, and I'll share a quick story. Okay. And I think that perfectly sums up both my uncle and auntie. Okay, please do. I'm, I'm sitting here. The year was 1867. I'm scared. Oh, wow. <laughs> the year was 20... Oh, I graduated in with my undergrad in 2017. The year was 2015. Okay. I was living in Lethbridge. Mm-hmm. I was in my third or fourth year of my university degree yeah. as a performance major. Yes. Um, I had, at the time, was living with two other people in a t- townhouse. Yep. One roommate 
owned everything in that townhouse. <laughs> All the furniture. <laughs> I, uh, I, I rolled up with my few pots and plates and my bed, and they had they had already been living by themselves for quite a while before oh, okay. I rolled up into their lives. So they were a, a pro They were established. Adults. Yeah, they had a couch. The, oh, wow. They had uh, a TV. They had a cat. Cute cat. Oh, um, was that kitty? No, no, no. This oh. was the, this cat's name was Simon. It was <gasps> with my roommate before the people I'm living with now. Okay. Uh, they're they're from South Africa and they're like one of my closest friends. Not the kitty, the person. But well, like, I mean, like yeah, yeah. either way. <laughs> I'll show you a picture later. Cutest cat. Loved the cuddles and the purring, but mm-hmm. like would want to sit at your hip, but not like cuddle up close. Like if you tried to bring him in close, they would leave, but they were comfortable right here. Yeah, purring. they come to you. you yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't. The cat chooses you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um. They just, like, were more established than me. I was, like, I only owned a bed because, you know, when I left home, I left with a bed and a dresser and a side table because my other roommate I had in the first couple years had everything, too. Anyways, so I was living comfortably in this beautiful townhouse with this comfy couch and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then my roommate with all the furniture decided to leave us. Oh, no! <laughs> yeah. And lo and behold, they took the furniture, rightfully, and their cat with them. <laughs> That I was more sad about the cat, but then I realized, oh, we have nothing in this house. I have no chairs. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I had called up my auntie and uncle because I heard that they were like selling one of their properties that they had. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, hey, (laughs) so I have nothing. I I remember you're selling your one property. Is there any way I could like buy some furniture, some plates off of you or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, well, we're driving by in a little bit, and we'll bring you some things. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. I wasn't expecting much, you mm-hmm. know, uh, just whatever they could spare. And like I said, I wanted to buy it from them. Yes. So they purposely drove quite a long way, because they live more up north in the province. They drove, like, five or six hours one, one weekend. They... I can't remember if they were actually doing anything around where I lived because I lived like it was I was the only family in the in Lethbridge like yeah. it's just me so I don't think they were actually going there to do anything but they made it seem like they were just they're, yeah. they're popping by on their way to somewhere I can't remember but I'm pretty sure they had to drive to Lethbridge and then drive home to go to their somewhere place so they drove my auntie and uncle drove like however many hours yeah. And they brought a whole trailer full of stuff. Oh my god! And they s- essentially stacked our entire townhouse with oh, everything we needed. That's so sweet of them. That's going I know, above I know, and, and I wasn't expecting it. And they didn't charge me anything. Oh. And when I asked them like why they were like just giving me all this stuff, they they said, "Well, you're a kid in our, you're like you're our niece, and you need it, and it." But it should go to you and our family, a young adult trying to establish themselves. They were just like so nonchalant, but it was, it was like the biggest like moment of support. I've been supported by my family, but like that's so huge. It was just kind of like a, a milestone of support. Yeah, and it was, and I love the furniture because it was all very cookum chic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, like. The reason I'm telling that is we're currently recording this podcast in my house, and the table that we're using is the table they gave me. It's a very cute table. I'm, a, I'm a big fan. It's like pure wood. And then when I brought up this, they were keen, and yeah, that's, well. it's pretty. It's pretty huge. And I will ask the audience to 
listen with kind ears and a heart because it's very scary to share yourself to strangers. This is someone who's about to share a great deal of their life story and don't judge it harshly. Yeah. Be gentle. We Uh, listen with kindness over here. We're chill. Yeah. We're chill. Be chill. Understand like this. We're all sitting down and just getting to know each other, having a cup of tea and hanging out. We're getting, we're here to chill. Either that or get out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're not if you're not gonna be gen uh, like gentle kind or friendly this is that this isn't the space for you you just need some empathy yeah yeah this is a space for kindness caring and wanting to hear what others have to say so and that is what we tell ourselves before we go to bed at night saying good job existing today you, person. you've done a good job you've done a good job <laughs> even though you burnt that grilled cheese sandwich don't worry about it forgive yourself <laughs> it's okay. empathetic okay so uh i hope you enjoy this interview and we will be back right after to i don't know share some thoughts yeah and uh just reminisce or reflect on what we just heard yeah hello 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 been a long time coming. Welcome to this segment I like to call Deeds Discovery. And the point of this segment of the podcast is to really focus and hone in on that oral storytelling, learning about people you love and your ancestors through the oral word. And for me, my journey right now is to learn more about myself by learning about family members and their life, their stories. So joining me today, right now, is one of the most amazing men I have been privileged to know my whole life, and thankfully I'm related to him, so he has no choice in the matter. (laughs) Uncle, if you could tell us your name, where you were born, how old you are. Okay, um, well, I was born, um, in the, uh, in Lac La Biche, Alberta, but uh, in the St. Catherine's Hospital, which uh, burnt down in 1985. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up uh, at the Lac La Biche Mission on an acreage with uh, my mom and dad. There were nine of us. I have nine siblings. Uh, and what's your name? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Don. Donald. My legal name is Donald Floyd Anthony Latticer, and I have such a long name because when I was born in St. Catherine's Hospital, one of the uh, nuns in the hospital wanted to give me her own name. That's how the Anthony got stuck with me. So Weird. Uh, yeah. I've yeah. never known Saint of Catherine's a stranger hospital, yeah. to give you... <laughs> yeah, and my, and my mom let it... And my mom <laughs> let it uh, let it happen, so that's why I have the Anthony. And uh, there was nine of us children in our family. Mm-hmm. We grew up uh, at the Laclavish Mission, which is... Uh, a historical site now, a national and provincial historic site, because that's where the Oblate Fathers came uh, when many years ago uh, to settle when they were on their way uh, with the Hudson's Bay Company, the fur trading company, mm-hmm. and eventually they went up to Fort Chippewan. But there's nine, there's nine of us in our family, and uh, out of the nine, nine of us, my uh, older brother, uh, Biggs, Dwayne Latticer, your father, mm-hmm. uh, was a year older than me. And he passed away in 2010. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are missing him uh, from our family. And my grandparents all also grew up uh, in the Laclavish Mission area. My my great grandfather uh, my grandfather was Narcisse Latticer, who married Pauline Boucher, mm-hmm. uh, and they were uh, baptized and they were raised around the mission also. Uh, 
my uh, my great grandparents, and I'll I'll get into that maybe a little later. But my great grandmother was a lady by the name of Marianne Cardinal, mm-hmm. uh, and my great grandfather was Absalom Latticer. Now, most recently, as of 2019, uh, as, as a child growing up, I always we were always told that you know there was some Indian in our family. <laughs> we, we were always recognized as Métis people growing up. Yeah. Uh, but after 13 years of family research, I discovered that my great-grandmother, Mary Ann Cardinal, was a Treaty Indian of PAC's Indian band uh, in the Lacrobish area. I'll get into that a little later. I want to talk about my family a little bit. Because yeah. when, when we grew up, there was nine of us, and we grew up, we were a poor... Without we were Yeah, without plumbing and in the outdoors... Uh, you know, there was nine of us, and we lived in a very small house uh, in the mission, and we were very poor. Dad we, used to say you had to catch your food sometimes. Yes, yes, that's how we were raised. Uh, we basically uh, lived off the land. My dad was a commercial fisherman, and so we were raised on a lot of fish because we fished, my dad commercial fished numerous lakes around Lacklebish, but more uh, the Lacklebish Lake where we caught the whitefish and the jack. Mm-hmm. And interesting, as I found out in my family history, that my great grandmother Marianne Cardinal, PAC's Indian band, were were woodland Cree people, and they always lived near the lakes where they could catch the whitefish to live off. So woodland Cree, I thought we were Plains Cree in our family. No, no, the Plains Cree are the uh, the Cree people. Uh, when you look at it from from the, the Red Deer River, is the barrier where. Where the Plains Cree, uh, uh, the Plains Cree, the Cree people, and the Blackfoot people, which as we know now, from from the south, Siksika, Pakani, when you look at north, Samson, yeah, the Treaty Treaty Six, Treaty Seven, Treaty Eights, the Red Deer River kind of borders the boundary of the Blackfoot and the Cree people, but the Plains Cree people lived on the prairies, but there was the woodland, the wood. Woodland Cree, which are the Cree people of the north, who are my descendants, they grew up anywhere, anywhere in the Lacklebish area, as well as as far north as Wapau Lake, because there's even, when you look at the island that's out from the historic Lacklebish mission where the rectory is, there's pottery that's been found that dates back to the 1500s uh, in, in the Saskatchewan area, as well as in the northern area of Alberta, and Black Fox Island being one of them, They've distinguished that that's where the northern Cree people were, the woodland, the woodland Cree were. The Plains Cree people were, were, the, people, were the people that are around uh, Muscochis, mm-hmm. uh, the four bands of Muscochis, Louisville, Ermanskin, Samson, uh, those, those bands in Montana. Uh, you know, and we also have the other, the other part of the Plains Indian are the, are the, the, the Soto, you know, the Stonies. Yeah. Uh, over over around Cochrane. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the Stony Indians. They used to be called Sarsi years ago. I think yeah. I like learned there's like Swampy Cree, Woodland Cree, Plains Cree, Moose Cree, and there was a fifth one. There's the Dene. The oh. Dene are up north in the high level area. Okay. Around Bushy River, uh, Tall Cree, uh, okay. Fort Vermilion. Oh, okay. So. See, I'm already discovering so much, just getting yeah. so much lessons. But you said you wanted to first focus on your life growing up in the mission. And yeah. So who are your parents' name, if you want to give them? My, my, and... my, mom, my dad is Edgar Latticer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
my dad speaks uh, three languages fluently. He speaks uh, the Cree language. He speaks French. Four, actually, because he speaks Machif, which is a mixture of the of the Cree language and the French language together. With English, I with, think, too, With right? some English in there. Yeah. And, he's, and he's fluent in English, but we never spoke it at home, so I just spoke English. And my mother's name is Solange Ruche. Uh, my my mother is French, uh, and her her family were were French, and her and my dad met at, met at the mission where they got married. And you'll find I'll be referring to my dad as my dad, and yeah. um, my uncle's dad here and mom as Papa and Mama. So whenever mm-hmm. I'm talking about Papa, I'm talking about Edgar, and Mama is like Solange. But like, so Papa, he was he's he's mixed Métis, right? Yeah, yes, he is. But uh, and he's yes, he's registered as a as a Métis person. And he's also a member of the Buffalo Lake Métis Settlement. Mm-hmm. He joined the settlement many years ago in 1932. But he was he's always been registered as a Métis. Mm-hmm. But through my research, my 13-year research of finding Indian status, my if my dad wanted to register as a treaty Indian, he would actually build, be a Bill C-3 Indian uh, from the MacGyver decision back in 2011, January 2011, when Bill C-3. But my dad is is Métis and registered as Métis. He's not registered as a status Indian. So what's interesting I find about this is even though your status, and if my dad was still alive, he could be status. I can't. No, I believe you can be. You can be because um, pending when you were born, what were you, when were you born? 1993. You said, I remember earlier, we were kind of talking about this when I was telling you about this project. I think you told me that I don't qualify for what you found out. Uh, You possibly may be because uh, my son Nelson was born January 22nd, Mm -hmm. was born in 1985. If you're born before April 1st of 1985... uh, you may be entitled to be registered as a status Indian. Well, I'm not, unfortunately. So, but the potential is still there because your your dad would be a Bill S3 Indian like I am. I'm a 61A3 mm-hmm. under the Indian And what does Act. that mean for people who may not understand um, all the numbers and lettering that comes to be a status Indian versus a Métis well, of Alberta? It's... It's a really long, difficult story. We'll get to it later, maybe, because you want to yeah. focus on your life. Yeah, right yeah. I'll, I'll talk about my siblings, and, and we'll get into that and, and what I found out about my grandma, Ooh. why it took so long. You hear that, folks? More it, to come. Tune in. <laughs> so, so like we grew up, nine of us. Uh, boy, when I think about it now, like how did our parents? How were our parents able to afford raising nine kids? On, on limited income. And, and, and again, it was a really yeah. tough place to live yeah. in Lac La Biche and on the mission. Yeah, yeah. And we, but basically we hunted the moose in the fall, okay. uh, moose and deer, and that was our meat for the wintertime, you know, and we, we raised uh, chickens uh, at home and we raised hogs. So we would butcher the chickens in the fall Mm-hmm. Uh, to replenish for the for the winter, you know, and then of course we'd butcher a hog in the fall, one or two hogs. So we had our pork and our chickens, and then during the summer, of course, the chickens gave us the eggs for for having eggs, and then and then we would harvest the like I say, we'd harvest the moose or the deer in the fall. But my dad, being a commercial fisherman, we we ate a lot of fish at the same time. But 
around Lac La Biste, they used to they used to have a lot of uh, mink ranches around there because ranching minks was a big thing, and the, and the Lebanese a lot of the Lebanese people had mink ranches. So my dad and his brothers, like my uncle Lair and my uncle Willie, uh, my my uncle Roger, a lot of them would commercial fish mm. and catch tulabies in Lac La Biste Lake and sell the tulabies to the mink ranchers, and they would get two dollars for. Uh, for a box of fish, and a box of fish was probably 100 pounds. And how pounds. much was $2 worth back then? Wow. Well, As probably, a per, like if they were getting paid, say like inflammation, just so people understand what liter, you got, we're working with, you know. A, a, liter, a liter of gas back then would probably be uh, about maybe, maybe 10 cents. Oh, wow. So there was... It was some money, but still not a lot. But still not a lot. It's still not a lot. So, you know, if you caught if you caught a ton of fish, and I can remember those days of of having to go and uh, if they caught a lot of fish, like a lot of tulabies or a lot of perch, which would overwhelm the work of my mom and dad. My And my mom fished right alongside with my dad, went out on the lake, pulled the nets. Having nine set, kids, being pregnant all and, the time, and, and still w- doing the hard labor. She, yes, and she would be on the lake with with him fishing uh, when she was like seven, eight months pregnant. Wow. Uh, yeah, and, and, and picking fish. Like, I can remember days of having to pish, pick a ton of fish if you caught too much fish, and there'd be like all of us kids down there helping them take the fish out of the nets because they'd bring it to the shore and we'd pick the fish and get it into the boxes because then it'd have to go to the mink ranchers, right, to sell to sell the fish. And if you caught a ton of fish, so that was like 2,000 pounds of fish, which worked out to, well, what would that be? Like, it was not very much money, really, when you think about it now, right? No. Because on 100, on 100 pounds would be two bucks, so... I don't want to say there was foul play, but would they ever try and, like, you know not pay like no I, I appropriate or was it no, appropriate no, no, for I, the amount I, I can never remember that happening but i i was just a little boy so and the dad the the gentleman that my dad used to sell to was a gentleman by the name of johnny yakamik mm-hmm. and he was a big meat cruncher and his place is still down by the on the lakeshore across from the lac labish on uh, mission view drive there the, mm-hmm. the property is still there but I would believe that they were fair. Like my uncle Hilaire also was a mink rancher for a while. Mm-hmm. And where in the mission where my oldest sister Donna lives, Donna and Tony Fabro, he had a mink ranch which used to be just down the road from their place many years ago. And, and I, mink is like the sell of fur? Yeah, they used to sell the fur. They used to ranch the mink. Mink ranching was a big thing back in the 60s and 70s, eh? late 50s, all 60s and early 70s were the mink ranchers would raise these minks and then they'd sell the fur uh, mm. that would go over to Europe. Oh, okay. Kind of like trapping almost, but these these minks, They were established they were, raising yeah, and everything. They were established so it wasn't raise. like hunting in the wild and everything. No, and, no. But um, I know, uh, did you also like, in terms of vegetation and what you would eat, there's like berries that grew around there well, seasonally, right? And I, yeah. I remember being taught like where to go get Saskatoon berries and other things that you can like eat off the land. Yeah, um, we would we would grow a garden, of course, mm-hmm. right? We would grow a big garden, potatoes, and we'd have to go out and... But again, no plumbing, so everything no was plumbing. manual labor of bringing yes. water and everything. Yeah, we hauled our water from... The, the garden thing was we would plant the potatoes, the lettuce, and the 
cabbage, of course, and beans and all, all of that stuff that you people still grow in the garden today. But, we, but, but with nine awful. of us, it was it was a it was a lot of work, and you we didn't have running water to go and water the garden, so we would have to. Uh, haul water we hauled our water from the creek behind the house where my dad mom and dad still live it was it was a very healthy creek back in those days of the you know the 70s the late 60s 70s when we lived there we would use the tractor and what we called was a stone boat it was a basically two logs and then planks nailed on the top and we would have we would use the tractor and we would drag these two 45 gallon barrels down to the down to the creek and would fill them up by hand Mm-hmm. And we would haul that back to the house, and that would be the water for washing in the house or washing yourself. And sometimes we would use some of that water to water the garden. Where, so, the, where was there like just like one store when you would like walked to from the mission to Laclabish? There, uh, how far was that walk? There used to be a store right at the mission, just maybe a kilometer from the church to the and were west. Were you able to get like things like soap and other things, or did there how was stuff how like much that. did you make things from scratch? I'm just trying to get a handle on what my dad told me the struggle was. Uh, I don't remember us making soap or anything <laughs> okay. like that. I, I don't remember. He didn't that. say anything about but that. But I'm wondering. The, um, um, Mrs. Baudouin and, and Patrick Latticer lived at the mission store. There was a store which was about a kilometer and a half from our home, mm-hmm. halfway to the mission church, right? So we would either walk over there or if we had money, mom would give us money in the summertime, we'd go there with the bike and buy whatever she needed with the money we had. Mm-hmm. Or that's where people would get gas. You know, I think they'd pay like a couple bucks for five gallons of gas or whatever it was to put in the vehicle. But that was the nearest store. It was like a dry goods store that you would see today, a confectionery store. But the majority of the shopping was was done in the town of Lacrobish. And Mom and Dad always shopped at Hammer's Grocery Store mm-hmm. in Lacrobish. And it's right downtown where the where the traffic light is there now, just a little bit towards the lake there to the west. Yeah, That's it's much they, bigger than it was yes, back much, then. Yes, much bigger than what it was back then. And then, and then of course... Uh, you know, we uh, we went to church every Sunday. It was mandatory that we went to church growing up. So mandatory we from Mama and Papa's yeah, perspective, they us, or yeah, they wanted okay. us to go to church all the time, eh? So uh, we went to church uh, in the mission church, not in Lackawas. There was a church, and the, uh, the priest used to live in the old rectory there, uh, right next to the church, which burnt down approximately 10, 15 years ago. Uh, somebody committed arson and burnt it it's never the case has never been solved uh, about uh, what transpired there who who was the culprit that did that but we used to go to church there on Sundays and and a matter of fact like I served there as an altar boy I was one of you know you it was a Roman Catholic church and on mass you would serve mass you'd have to help the priest you know with the wine and the and preparing the altar and giving the host and all that kind of stuff. So I was an altar boy for a couple of years as well as uh, I think your dad was one too. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And, and Butch was, yeah. my older brother Alan, Butch. So we, we served Mass there, and I can remember when you'd go to Mass there every Sunday. And that was kind of like the the meeting place where everybody after church would meet on the front steps and mm-hmm. and uh, chat and see what was happening around the community. The Bouvier brothers, Gabe and... 
Gabe and his brother were out. Gabe and Alphonse were there. And, of course, my dad, Uncle Lair, Emo Cloutre, the his brother, uh, Leo. and uh, A lot of people. A lot of people would, yeah, would meet there. Community. And in the wintertime, in the wintertime in the church, because it wasn't heated, mm-hmm. uh, my Uncle Charlie, Charlie Boucher, was married to my my dad's sister, Mary, his older sister, Mary, Mary Latticer. They would, he would go light the stove in the church before Mass every Sunday. And, and with Christmas time approaching us now, uh, this year, I can distinctively remember Christmas Eves and going to Midnight Mass at the Mission Church. And my Uncle Charlie would always set up the three spruce trees with the, the altar and baby Jesus in the Mission Church. And the church used to be full in the evening time uh, for Midnight Mass. The Mass would start at 1 and course being kids some kids would fall asleep in the in the pews during the service and i remember serving mass and and christmas eve also it's very like interesting because while some people consider um church and everything a source of pain for a lot of indigenous communities yes it's i think it's like a balance but i know growing up my dad did not like that he was baptized and he wouldn't want us he didn't want to baptize us because he didn't want to force religion on us he wanted us to find like our own path to our own thing and i wonder um now that we brought up religion do you consider yourself still a catholic person um no i don't not anymore and i haven't for numerous years mm-hmm. it's been uh, approximately 25 30 years now my church is the sweat lodge mm-hmm. My church is the sweat lodge, and with my elders, uh, I, I really believe in the power of song and prayer. And the Creator. And the Creator, absolutely. My Indian name, given to me by uh, by Jack Mackinac, Wonton Ski, the man who walks the earth. But my. So your Indian name is. My Indian name is Wonton Ski. The man who walks. Man the who earth. walks the earth. That's my Indian name. And what language is that from? That's the Cree language of the. Plains Cree. Uh, Jack Mackinac lives out west by Buck Lake and we were doing a sweat lodge ceremony and he, he gave me my Indian name. And we will, folks, we will really get into the discovery of like the creator and... So I don't there's and I, I haven't um, believed in uh, or I, I shied away from the from the Catholic Church many years ago when, when I started uh, my journey. Mm-hmm. My journey with uh, finding out who I was in my indigenous culture. I, I always recognized myself as a Métis person. Mm-hmm. But when, and it even bothered me more when we, what's happening in our world today as we find, find out that it's taken this long for four elders, for the Pope to finally apologize for the wrongdoing of indigenous people. And I think there was a time when, not to get political, but yeah, let's talk politics, when Stephen Harper apologized and then took it back years later. Yes. And there's also, I forget what uh, prime minister or what politician in Canada said, there was someone this year as they were uncovering the lost children's bodies and the murdered children's bodies who was trying to say the good residential schools did. And was like, well, I think we there were some positives in residential schools. It was very interesting, but we won't get like too no, I, into it. But there is like definitely in terms of identity and why I started this podcast, an idea of self awareness, yeah, and recognition. You see, when I developed a program, when I developed a program 
I became a police officer. Oh, in we're skipping fast forward so we're gonna, much. But we're talking about residential schools. Yeah. Part of the part of the program, is, which which the RCMP still use today, is a program that I I developed with my good friend Alex Couture, who's a Métis man. And within within the Aboriginal perceptions training, one of the segments we built in there was the Indian residential schools, to bring awareness to the RCMP officers we were training of its impact and the genocide caused on Indigenous people. The generational Yeah, and, and when we go back to the Laklabish Mission, mm-hmm. Laklabish Mission has never been recognized as a residential school, but they did have they did have a have a day school there ran by the by Le Fils de Dijou, they were called, the Sisters of Jesus. So it was still run by church. It, it was run by the church and the Oblate Fathers. But that that was a day school. But my mom and dad have told me stories of how mean those those sisters used to be to the children. I've heard about it. it. The only difference is you were able to go home, but it was still the idea of killing the Indian and the child. Yes, yes. So, you know, my mom and dad had, had, had shared stories of how, how mean they were, but they were allowed allowed to go home. But they're not recognized when the Indian Residential School uh, report uh, was completed. Uh, the mission wasn't recognized as one of the residential schools, like not not like Blue Quills was out mm-hmm. at Saint Paul, where a lot of, where a lot of the people from Beaver Lake and and I don't want to get sidetracked here, but for people from Beaver Lake, Saddle Lake, Heart Lake. Uh, we have relatives went, in went, yeah. Beaver Lake. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where my great grandmother, Marianne Cardinal, yeah. uh, that I touched on. Her, her treaty number was number two. Interesting. Number two. Does that mean she was the second to sign? No, because, because <laughs> her treaty number was number two when I found it. Because back then, from talking to all the, and all the documents I found, all the children were given the same number as the head of the household. Her father, Jerome Cardinal's treaty number was number two. Oh, so it's the idea so of every, everybody in the family. It's not like today because I asked that specific question because being an RCMP officer, I did numerous treaty days. I handed out the five bucks to everybody with the Indian agent wearing a red search for numerous years. Uh, Throughout my service as an RCMP officer, mm-hmm. so I asked that specific question when I when I found the first document of my great grandmother confirming she was a Treaty Indian. So it's them numbering like they it's, did in residential schools, where they numbered the kids and took away their. Yeah, kind of the same thing. Because Jerome Jerome Cardinal, my would would actually be my great great grandfather. Mm-hmm. Her her dad, the male of the household. Uh, his treaty number was number two, so her treaty number was number two, as well as all her sisters were treaty number number two. So I asked that question to the Indian Affairs when when I when I was able to talk to somebody on the phone when I found her treaty number, if the numbering was in the same concept as it is today now, everybody has their own number. And they said, well, no, because uh, girls and women were really treated like garbage back then. They were nothing for the family. Oh. So it's the misogyny i think that comes from white supremacy and colonization because misogyny isn't really inherent to a lot of indigenous communities um it's more in my understanding it was more matriarchal than patriarchal so obviously when you're trying to assimilate an entire community 
and you notice that they get they value the power in the woman in that community yeah what do you do you yeah. try and destroy that power and that yeah and, and the ironic thing in in first nations culture in my culture i say because i'm a first nations man mm-hmm. women are the are the power they're the power they're Women are the power of, of the lodges. They're the power that keeps the home fire burning. You can ask any any pipe carrier, any any elder. Women, the women are the strength in the indigenous. And this is coming culture. from a junior elder. Yes, pipe women, carrier. women. Women are, and remind me to share a story with you of the women pipe carriers. I will. And I will. I will. Rem- so, so I don't. So I don't forget when we get into the into the <laughs> into the other stuff, but. They are so powerful because I've experienced it. Amazing. I've experienced it. Yeah, I have. And that's what I keep telling myself. The minute I'm a little insecure, I carry with me so much power in that ancestry. Um, So we're actually, uh, we're we're getting to our half an hour, our first break for the folks. already? Yeah, see, it goes by so quick. But just to reiterate, when we come back, or for you folks listening in the next episode, we're going to go back to discussing um, your life growing up on the mission because I've heard stories from my dad and I'm very curious and interested in what the life is like. And we'll also, of course, get into what your decision to become a police officer and your career there and then also your journey into rediscovering indigenous culture and of course the immense decades of work you put into um recollecting and keeping alive our indigenous ancestry all in the next episode for you for us we kind of i don't have to wait a whole month like everyone else i get to know now (laughs) um so uncle before we say goodbye for this portion of the episode is there anything you want to say get ready this is what i'm going to talk about (laughs) it's so fast hey it it goes so fast and I'm I'm 61 years old. I'll be 62 next year. But I'm at that stage now that you mentioned junior elder. Yeah, junior elder because I've been a sweat lodge helper for many years. So my my teaching elders, Frog Lake First Nation, are my teaching elders that have adopted me. Mm-hmm. Moise Paul and Mel Abraham, and I'll get into that stuff. But those those are my elders out east. I'm still connected with. Many elders in this traditional area, Samson Cree, Samson Ermanskin, who are just across the lake from me where we sit right now, Muscatoon Camp across the lake where where they live. But yeah, I'm proud of my heritage. Very proud. <laughs> and we'll get into it. See, yeah. it's 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 easier. We were both nervous um, getting into this because it's my first time interviewing a family member but also my first time producing and like heading a a podcast like this but it's it's my uncle's not it's not your first time being interviewed but it's the first time we're both taking an undertaking like this where we're immortalizing so much history and knowledge and all the work you've done up to this point for communities to look around this room Oh, yeah, we're in a space. We're in my uncle's house. And the amount of, I'm not going to say stuff, the amount of objects holding so much power and knowledge and history, 
my auntie put it quite eloquently. It's like a museum down here. So we'll get into uh, continuing to learn about my uncle, his life, his history for me in a couple minutes. Wow. <laughs> it is uncomfortable to hear yourself speak. <laughs> a lot of the times during the interview, I was just like, stop talking dudes and, and just let them talk wait <laughs> but then i'm just also like oh look at me being excited to like have this conversation but um, it's, it's also part of a neurodivergency thing of yeah, being able true. to tie into conversation by just jumping in of like oh wait but this happened to me and i feel that that connects to this subject in or this way. like remarking back on a past thing and yeah. like again i have thought about cutting out all me what I have said in the interview, like just have it strictly like my uncle Don telling the story and kind of do it how they do on documentaries sometimes where they cut out the questionnaire. But then I thought the purpose of the interview is to show a conversation oh, yeah. between family members learning yeah. about each other, right? Yeah, because there's so many questions that we don't even ask or we don't follow up with in our with other people in our family. It also shows that <laughs> you can have these conversations with people, right? Yeah. My uncle, Don, is one of the most adorable people I I've ever met. And typically you don't call like a 62-year-old, I guess he would be like 63, 64 right now. Okay. Depending on how long it's been since we I did this interview. But I'm like some people don't call men of that age adorable, but my uncle Don is adorable. His reaction when he realized we were already done for the oh, first episode. Oh, it was episode. so cute. It was like, oh, it's all already now. My gosh, I have more to say. But wait, hold on. He's <laughs> like, no, we, might, we we gotta hit the pause button here, sir. Oh, uh, and again, like this is a learning experience. I'm also learning how to edit and everything, so I'll do my best to like hopefully like up some of the volume because i think my uncle has the most calm voice too oh he could like, very like very like i can narrate he could world. read me a story yeah. and he is there's those youtube stories where they like read you to sleep or something like that and he could do one of those and i would definitely listen to him tell me stories that'd be so nice what we'll get into the what we actually like heard but oh right <laughs> we're too busy complimenting Uncle Don. um what was your first impression of him um he sounds calm and gentle and i um i don't know i was just kind of he didn't say his name at first so i was like who is this man come back wait 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 but uh no uh he sounded kind that was more so like the the kind warmness and tone of his voice. Yeah. It made him it made him feel very welcoming and just I I could say honorable in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel yeah, it's just I I I'm I'm smiling from ear to ear right now <laughs> just because this is like the first bit of like introducing one of the people I, I got I got to the privilege of knowing my whole life yeah to people and I'm just so freaking proud yeah of like the courage it takes to talk about yourself talk about we we began talking about some subjects that hopefully past de deeds remembered to get back into I think mm -hmm. uh, one about like um the pipe carriers the women pipe carriers and everything but um I just there's so some there's something just so validating about finally like being able to introduce him 
to the world if the world listens hey world you listening i hope they are (laughs) and i'm just like so happy that i've also realized i say like a lot i need to i'll work on that we'll work (laughs) on it um but i i also say um a lot it's all good don't Uh, worry that was a beat from the computer we're learning we're learning but i guess i just want to say thank you uncle don we have three more episodes three like an hour and a half more of interview to listen to over the next few months and i want to if you're listening uncle don which i hope you are (laughs) i want to thank you for your time and your your grace and like i I don't know it just it hit me and it hit me in the right spot you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah and to think about it summing up what you said he's 65 64? No, he said he was 61 when we, turning 62, so he's probably like 62, 63. Okay, maybe? so to to put all of your life into an hour and a half. Two hours. Two that's, hours. Yeah. Two hours, and that's your entire life. That's 62, 63 years into two hours. It's hard. That's pretty condensed. Yeah, and we'll like uh, you haven't listened to the rest of the interview, oh, no, so you I don't even so. know. I I'm sort of recollecting, but again, we'll do our best to like keep track and like. I personally think those two hours, they weren't enough. Like I I am I imagine like bringing my uncle Don back for like season future two. season season two, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and really getting into it. But I guess okay, we'll stop. We'll stop. We'll stop being in awe right now. We'll and stop we'll, hyping the man up yeah, right now. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get down to what we learned. And this is exciting for me because, again, some of the things my uncle mentioned I knew. Some of it I can relate to. But I'm so curious about what someone who's not in the family might be curious about. And so... Um, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, two, two interesting points. We, we were making it our goal to write down points and uh, check back on things. Mm-hmm. But I, I would also like to say, I was also born in Laclabish. <laughs> I, I had to Google where that was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know what it was, like where it was exactly. And so um, just taking a quick look-see, because uh, we're in Mokinstis in Calgary, that's a five-hour and 30-minute drive from here. <laughs> and so that's two hours. Yeah, it's really up, north. up north. It's close to Athabasca and northeast of Edmonton. It's two hours and 30 minutes from Edmonton and roughly about an hour from Athabasca. Yeah. And yeah. I, I had no idea like where it was. Like I knew that he had mentioned Fort Chippewan and area up, up there, but I wasn't sure exactly where when he mentioned that because I knew that Fort Chippewan was fairly up north but that's still kind of like anything past Edmonton I find most people from like Calgary kind of are just like oh yeah it's up there um an interesting uh another interesting fact about it uh so the mission is kind of like at the time they were talking about the mission is a bit ways from Laclabish but now they're kind of like they're very close to each other where they're kind of the same thing um yeah, I was just, wondering how Yeah, that yeah. So the mission is like a stretch of road mm-hmm. that's way out in the bush. Okay. And, and back then, or even when I was a kid, it was like 
pretty far away from like central Laclabish and everything. But okay. as Laclabish expands and grows, mm-hmm. I personally feel like they're in the same town. I feel like the mission is in Laclabish, but it's its own special stretch of like history. So could you say it's kind of like Bones for Calgary, if you wanted to say that? Because Bones was originally like its own little separate town or you could say it's kind of like Airdrie for yeah, this area. Yeah, and that's just my like perception of yeah, it. Yeah, so just kind of like a suburb out there but yours was more in the sticks yeah. if that makes sense. And and this was not brought up at all in the conversation but I wrote it here because I have many stories about the mission and mm. I, I visited the mission often. Um, the Laclabish mission is actually one of the top haunted sites in Alberta. Really? And my and maybe we'll get into it like in the future I got, episodes. I got stories from my dad about things that went on and I got like sensations and feelings. I got goosebumps right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's <laughs> we're talking about it and I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's beautiful, it's home, but it's also really haunted." I don't know how I feel about haunted things because that's... I just like searched it. And it was like, Laclabish Mission Investigation, The Paranormal Explorers. And I swear I read it in a book that uh, Laclabish Mission is a historic site, yeah, located. And it, I'm pretty sure the Mission Jail is one of the top ten haunted places in Alberta. Ooh. I think. Um, anyways, we're not a paranormal exploration. But I mean, that's part of it, so <laughs> I, I am interested. But, um, yeah, no, uh, you were saying uh, about, or your your uncle and you said that it was a historic site he said that in like the 1500s they found pottery up there for the yeah uh Hudson's so Bay. i in the woodland cree people north near north of lac labish mm-hmm. in the area i think they mentioned quite a few lakes like beaver Lake, yeah. i think was mentioned that um the site recorded for the woodland cree and metis well woodland cree side of the metis people in the 1500s, they found traces of pottery, yeah. which would suggest that it was the woodland Cree that occupied in the north yeah. for most of that time, which was very interesting to find. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I ended up Googling it because I, I, after that, I was like, well, obviously, I need more knowledge now, please. Yeah. Let me, <laughs> let me drink from the knowledge cup, please. Yeah. What did you find? Uh, so I found that it was, uh, it's a UNESCO historic site. Uh wood buffalo national park mm-hmm. apparently it's an ecological like playground or just kind of like a, a, an oasis up there if that makes sense mm-hmm. uh that's where they have a great deal of migrating buffalo and birds they all end up going up there for some reason or another i don't know i don't understand animals very well but <laughs> uh i just i read it and it said that it's just an amazing location for these migrations because all of these animals will come and go from that area. Yeah. And it's just so heavily wooded that it's just kind of... It's an oasis. Yeah, it's an oasis in its own way, but also its own thing at the same time. Yeah. um, I think, like, is it called topography when you're talking... You're talking about the top side of... Uh, land, right? I, I think Al- no idea. Alberta is a very like diverse. Oh yeah, uh, from north to south, east to west. There's so many different areas of land that are so different from each other. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. like it's UNESCO, so they qualified uh, Dinosaur Provincial Park in the south near Brooks, as well as um, Banff and Lake Louise. They're also uh, UNESCO sites just for migration and. 
the Rocky Mountains and glaciers forming and all that. So it's just, I had no idea after, after Banff and Lake Louise, my knowledge kind of cuts off. I don't know that much about historic sites, but it was incredibly interesting hearing about the pottery being found up there, mm-hmm. as well as like the migration patterns of animals that go up there. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, it's just something that I don't know about. What, uh, what else? interesting what oh my gosh what, what? words what else interested you i'm very curious i was so confused that nurse forced your uncle to take the name anthony anthony yeah yeah the what? nurse the nurse looked that baby in the eye and said you know what this you is... look like me <laughs> you're gonna be anthony excuse me ma'am oh my ma'am God. when when i heard that i i oh, i felt like i got a whiplash when i heard that again because again I hear things and then sometimes I don't digest or it gets put somewhere in the back of my head where I don't like. Or it just doesn't get fully absorbed. Like, I've never heard. Like, I've heard in, like, certain history of, like, people being forced to, like, take names. Indigenous people being forced to, like, have a surname or whatever name. Um, But I've never heard of a baby taking on their doctor's or nurse's name. Yeah, cuz that just so- that sounded wrong to me. It was almost kind of like, well, maybe after his mom gave birth, she was just tired like that's no, this is Donald, but I'm so tired. Anthony, sure, whatever. Just add yeah, that in. Yeah, I I don't know. Or if it was maybe it was forced. Yeah, I, like honestly, um this is part of learning things, but I think it... It could have been. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of anyone else in my life having to deal with that when they were born. And yeah. even my uncle was like, yeah, I don't know why. It just, like, my mom agreed. But then, I don't know... I don't want to use the word coercion, but I feel like that's such, like, a... That's such a random, weird thing that I think yeah. really explores the time then. Because... I don't know any family who would ever allow any doctor or nurse to choose their child's name. Yeah, because it's just, it's like the renaming. Even um, if we're going to touch on like residential schools, it was, the mission wasn't qualified as a residential school, right? Because the kids got to go home at the end of the day. Yeah, it was a day school. Yeah, so it was, but still like the fact that she gave birth so close to the mission maybe it was in, in Lacobish in yeah, their hospital yeah so it felt like maybe that was part of like the renaming process of like well we'll give you another name this way I think it's like an erasure or like oh well, let me claim some of your family and my uncle did not corroborate or say any of this like he really he was a baby oh yeah <laughs> he really well, didn't know and I didn't talk to my mama about this either or bring this up with her so this is just me as like yeah they're my family but me as like a third party person being like what the f- yeah, it's, Weird. it's just kind of like, Not right. it's third party viewing of what happened there. How did this end up being okay? Because if that happened now with anybody with options for social media, and if the social media picks up on it, that would have never happened. That's some nonsense that no one would accept nowadays in in like the society that we're taking part in. Yeah. I don't know about like other places in the world, but where we are that would not be that not be that's not chill man and if like if you have stories where oh yeah this is a regular normal thing for yeah us, like let us know because it's just something I'm, i've never heard of yeah until, i've never heard of that until and... he said that and he couldn't even explain it so like there was i was like did the nurse like save mama's life did like 
Did she feel honored? To, yeah, like, yeah. Did the nurse do something? Was like, she friends with her? For you? Did they like help support the family? She's like, I don't like. Or look at him. I don't know what to call him, Anthony. All right, <laughs> sounds good. Oh my goodness! I don't and know. It's I just, just it's, it. It puts me off, and it, it made me like gave, really angry. <laughs> it gave me the ick. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we felt the ick there, <laughs> but uh, and then Uncle was just like, "Yeah, I know. I I don't know." And then I'm just like being born in Laclabish. I'm so glad I didn't get some random ass person's name and not any <laughs> of my family names. But also at the same time, if that's something that's practiced commonly in other people's cultures and traditions i would love to hear more about that because i can't explain it no i wouldn't i would not know about that i do not know about that so feel free to tell me if and give me more information about this because it's something that is totally alien and foreign to me yeah yeah i I just don't know yeah yeah i i might like talk to my mama after this and like check in and be like what was that about you know and also what culture were they from are they could the nurse be indigenous or were they non-native or what culture like yeah. give me the deets I, I did not look for the deets because I wanted this to be as like real as possible but like I'm, I think I might talk to my mom and be like what's with that <laughs> hey please maybe uh, I'll have for next story. episode I'll come in and I'll be like so here's what actually happened no, no, I'd, oh, I'd be wow. very interested in knowing about that um but we were also he was talking about like how rough life was up there mm-hmm. and having no plumbing so I assume that's like outhouses and stuff and yeah yeah even, when I, was, even when I was young I remember like going out to the outhouse to use the washroom yeah yeah when I was like five or six well I mean that, that I can understand that with um farm culture and life and homesteading and such but the whole it was just different to hear about that from like where you grew up and that was I, a year where there was plumbing like everywhere yeah and this it, it, he said se- 60s 70s 80s mm-hmm. and still not to have those resources is still kind of i don't know if it, it feels funny to me because it feels again ick and wrong yeah. just because if you look at the the 70s and the 80s that 70s show yeah. like there are people <laughs> i know it's a fictional show everyone yeah. but like just looking at society wise there are people living in the 70s like that and in the 60s with perfect plumbing and everything yeah and i'm gonna be honest there's like a lot of there me going saying like again mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of indigenous communities still without water and plumbing yeah in in our country right now yeah so that's just ugh, it it feeds into um, dehumanizing people or not treating them the same as you treat other yeah. citizens of your country. And that's that that's entirely wrong. But it's just going back on even looking at um, the 1800s. That's when it was very common to have a wash basin in the sink and like a uh, cutout in the counter where you'd put like the, the water and then you'd take care of the dishes there and so forth. Mm-hmm. But it was just kind of interesting to hear that you didn't have any running water up there. In this country, I think there are people who hunt for sustainability and survival. Yeah. And then there are people who trophy hunt. Yes. And there are members of my family who I know have trophies from their hunts. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with it, but learning this history, hunting was how my family and I'm assuming a lot of the Métis community survived. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean... 
It's how your family survived. It's your heritage. What you have to understand is, well, yes, a lot of indigenous communities hunt and survive off the land and the animals. There's a respect there. Yeah. There is a not taking too much. There is mm-hmm. a process. Yeah. So what I've noticed in recent years is that there's been a shaming happening towards indigenous communities under the efforts of conservation. Oh. When, for me... I remember growing up and surviving on the moose and the deer meat that when when I was a young kid, they would continue hunting the family, yeah. but then they would continue sharing that with all the family members. Yeah. Groceries are hard now, yeah. and food was hard. As my uncle grew up in a big family in poor conditions, I grew up with five siblings in not the best off conditions we weren't middle class by any means Mm -hmm. i wasn't just at my mom and papa's when i was eating this food it was when i was at my auntie and uncle's it was at our place they would share with the entire family to help keep them afloat yeah it builds more community and um more it doesn't go to waste yeah no it's very respected so what i i grew up on that but then in the last like five or six years i've been seeing a lot of people say oh we need to not have hunting or why can indigenous people hunt everywhere when we need to conserve our environment and i'm like you don't understand like in the way that people hunt and survive it helps heal the land itself that we're a part of the nature that's happening yeah and there's there's simple enough terms of um the fact that a lot of communities what they don't realize is that hunting the deer is important because if the deer eats too much of the trees and the bark off the trees then that gives no shelter for anything else to grow there because the underbrush is so important for just different ecological reasons and then it also drives the other animals away because if you don't have uh, the trees for the squirrels to be or for the birds to live in then it's going to drive the animals away from the area and next thing you know you may end up with a dead forest and if it gets too dry up there then you have an instant fire right it's just waiting to happen and having a, a like a mitigation of that of it's cultural yeah it's survival but it's also being one with the land and, rather than and understanding it yeah um i i guess i'm saying this because if we're if we're talking about learning and more about yourself yeah when I went to university, or even when I was a teenager, yeah. and I would talk to my peers, because I didn't grow up in Lacklavish. I grew up in Redwater, and Where Redwater, <laughs> it's still north, it's still by Lacklavish and Edmonton. You don't need to Google it. I want to. <laughs> it's where a lot of like my maternal family is. Um, I grew up there being the only indigenous kid in my grade, right? Mm. So like I grew up, even sometimes, like I remember as a kid, catching a rabbit and having like my musham who's like another grandpa like skin it in front of me when we would go camping my dad catching fish i knew where my food was coming from however there was a time in my life when again i started learning more about the world and what people were saying about conservation um that i felt guilty and ashamed no, that makes for sense. taking part in it and hearing this from my uncle helps me realize not only the cultural reason but the socio-economical reason yeah you can't corner people and give them a bit of land not give people the same benefits as some of your other community members no and expect them to just survive on nothing so it, it is cultural it is like 
to the bone. It is part of our indigenous ancestry. And yes, there are grocery stores now and everything, but it... It's still even expensive as the more far north you go, the more expensive things get for groceries because it all has to be imported, right? Yeah, and... So if it it's, it's living by the means that you have. I think hearing that just validated something inside of me where I realized even if it wasn't verbally said to me, this is your culture, it's what helped me survive and it's what I lived on. Yeah. So the people, the kids in my town... A lot of them weren't eating moose or deer or buffalo like I was, <laughs> or a rabbit. Or, you were used or to fish. eating grain, game and what, yeah. the, what the land had to offer you, right? Yeah, or going picking Saskatoon berries. Like there, there are times even in Edmonton City when we lived there for a time. There is a tree that grew sweet pea, and I just remember me and my like brother and sister, or at least me definitely, would go to that tree or bush or wherever it was on and just like eat. Like th- that was our snack. Like yeah. when we when I lived in Redwater, there was a crab apple tree, so mm-hmm. I would just go out and like start a little fire and roast crab apples. Hey. Or like the biggest thing, if you needed a sugar intake and you were out of out about, because I stayed out all hours of the day and night, mm-hmm. I would just like pick the thick grass in the prairie and then you eat the sugar off of it. And this is me doing it in the like '90s to early 2000s, so it wasn't that long ago. Like when I when I talk about like when we hear about my uncle and we think oh my gosh that was in like 1960 and whoa it's actually not that long ago that people were living like this because this was a part of their cultural but also how they survived in the economy because they weren't given the they weren't given everything to succeed oh yeah (laughs) all this to say is i was like ooh, hearing about that it helped me heal something inside of me because sometimes it's hard to look at like who's in the wrong that when we talk about climate control, it is not the indigenous it is not indigenous communities who have been stewards of the land for so long, who never claim ownership, mm. who fight for land rights and yeah. everything. It is not them that have destroyed the land. Because if you think it's like it's thousands, hundreds of years of working with the land and it wasn't them that like put our climate change to the way it is now. It is industry, right? And infrastructure, so I think that's important. It's just, I have no idea how everything would have turned out if colonialism hadn't taken over so much and industrialization, because that's its own rabbit hole that I'm not not ready to jump into that rabbit hole today. But um, yeah, just you, the way that you were brought up and you were taught how to respect the land Mm -hmm. makes it makes more sense in the sense that you feel and identify that your people didn't like i there was like a time where i was like questioning oh do we have to like eat this fish when we could go get an already dead fish in the grocery store like why do we have to like but then like (laughs) it's 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 something it feels it feels bad to kill the animal because it's that's essentially what you are doing by eating it no matter what you're consuming it yeah it becomes part of you it becomes part of you but whether they make it in the store or you do it for yourself is your own proper choice because whatever your socioeconomic standards are what's most convenient or what works best for you and your family is its own thing and the thing is like i i had so much respect and love for animals environment as a kid like i would never litter 
And I can't speak for any of my family, but this is just what I learned by watching and witnessing. I would never litter. I knew the the food that was fed to me at the school trips or whatever, what was in the grocery store. I knew that it all came from so much hard work and labor without even knowing the words to identify that. I just intrinsically knew. And I was so grateful for every bit of food because, again, I... I felt the hunger pains of poverty. My fa- my parents always did good to feed us, yeah. but before I started living with like my dad and my mom who raised me, uh, with my biological mom, <laughs> we weren't the best well off. So like, this this food, f- these animals feed and nourish you. You respect them. You don't take too much, and you contribute back to the land. Yeah. And now that I'm older and I'm learning about creator and rediscovering myself and my path lines, it's like, it's like, 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 (laughs) it's, it's it's no ick now. So that was, that was a major thing for me to hear because it just, it confirmed and made it normal. Yeah. And I think I I grew up not around my community. Yeah. So... We, we've gone on a tangent that, is a, that has been a long tangent that was a just... long tangent okay uh let's talk about loss of language <laughs> oh well i mean i was really interested in hearing about uh your uncle say saying machif which was a combo of cree and french right and english oh and english so yeah it's like a, a, a little a, a little Mixed. Evolution of language, like it's a real time evolution. Yeah, mixed tea or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Michif. I will say for me here in like loss of language, yeah. That learning of that language, of knowing those three languages, and but also like for really the mix of it. Yeah. My dad didn't have that. Like oh. they when he grew up, they weren't taught their language. And when I would ask to like be taught that growing up, he couldn't. And I think, again, this ties into trying to survive. Yes. And I think, to me, as I reflect as an older person now, that was assimilation working. Yeah. And, and erasure working. That my papa didn't feel comfortable in, like, teaching his children these languages. Well, yeah. And that makes sense because um, it may have not been a residential school, but you had family in areas with residential schools. and Day school. Yeah. Well, day school is, again, it's not qualified. We don't want to say it was, as my uncle had stated. But to me, it was a form of residential school. Well, from what he kind of described. It didn't celebrate the indigenous culture is what I'm saying. Yeah, from what he described, it sounded like it was more of, of, it was was a residential school with the ability to go home at night. But it's still the, the brutality of what, the residential schools were. He talked about how mean those people were. To my ran, papa and mama. Yeah, even. who ran the day school. My dad, I don't think he ever chose to push it with my papa to learn the language. Well, and yeah. when we, when he moved us away from Laklabish and the mission, mm-hmm. he never let go of his culture and, and who important. he was. He yeah. always said, he, had, he didn't shy away from saying he was Métis or that we were Métis and trying to teach what little he knew about it. Yeah. But when your society and you move to a town and they all, like, when they, oust you. Yeah, when they all frown upon, like, your culture, that's kind of hard. It's just, it's such a tricky thing that I, I hope I get into it more with Uncle John. I can't remember. But I look forward to unpacking more of that now. Unfortunately, like, I just, I'm not able to ask my dad 
because he's no longer with us. Yeah. And I can try and ask people around him. And I'll and I, for the interview, I try and focus more on my Uncle Don's experience. But yes. I think we get into more of the loss of language and the loss of culture. But from my perspective and how I view it is, I grew up knowing I was Métis and that not being an issue, that it was proud. I didn't know specifics behind my culture. Yes. But the way my dad moved, like, he always, he always wore his hair long. Yes. But it's just, like, those language, it's so hard to hold on to. Why my dad didn't know how to speak midshift or pass it on to us. I can't, I could never blame him because yeah. it wasn't a choice for him. Well, if it wasn't a choice, then it makes sense that he wasn't able to necessarily pass it on to you yeah. easily or even willingly just because it, if it caused him pain or if he didn't even have the tools and knowledge about it. or if To it know was, to even ask. Yeah, or even have it like perhaps blurred or blocked out of his mind because that's just... A coping mechanism right so well also like when i when i look at it this way in my own journey of rediscovering past truth the true history of canada mm -hmm. i didn't know residential schools were a thing until i went to university and then that's when when i went to university and i called back to family members and i asked if anyone was in a residential school that's when they told me about the day schools yeah um that's when i learned and i was 25 my dad, when he passed away, he was around in his 40s. Yeah. Sometimes, if no one's teaching you or giving you the insight, and the people who can give you the insight are hurt or they're conditioned not to speak on it, like it doesn't matter, yeah. you don't even know the language to like find out these answers. I imagine that if my dad was still alive, as my Uncle Don went and looked and found the culture and the history and did the work... Yes my dad would have done the same thing. Oh, and yeah. if he was around with me now, he would be rediscovering with me. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we would <laughs> be taking lessons in Cree together. Right now, my goal is to take French, find a Cree teacher, learn Cree, and then by some extension, hopefully find someone who can teach me mischief too. That's what I have to do yeah. for my family, but something that's never a choice really. No, those are some wonder, wonderful goals, and I hope that you you're able to attain like this knowledge of the Cree language and French, and just learning Michif as well, so that you're able to just feel more connected to your roots. If that's what you're aiming for, or if that's just a personal knowledge goal. I think as a kid, when I was visiting my pop and mama, my papa would be on the phone, yeah, with their friends, mm -hmm. cousins, or family, speaking Michif. And I was so fascinated. I would just purposely sit near him for hours just listening. And I picked up some words, some phrases, typically what like they yell at you <laughs> to listen. Uh, but some colloquialisms. Uh, is it called colloquialisms? I don't know. But I remember feeling so enthralled and feeling like I was missing out. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure in this conversation we'll, we'll like will get to that loss the purposeful erasure of your culture yeah and that may be a bit of a tough one to go through but i think it's important that we cover that and learn about it because if you felt that type of wanting and wanting to learn mm -hmm. and desire to know 
even if it's just to know for your own silly little reasons, if you think they're silly and little, or if they're for bigger reasons that you didn't realize that this was something that was really important to you as a child. Like you said that it was felt like I just want to know these words. Yeah, I want to be able to talk to. Yeah, you wanted to talk to your your community. And I remember a conversation with my dad where I asked, "Can you teach me that?" And he said, "No." And I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know." And that's that's the feeling you get. Like there's a space there. Yeah. There's something taken from you or missing. Well, whether you can say that it was I don't know because you're you were forced to say no I'm not learning this or no I've been told not to do this by figures of authority or if it's more of a I just can't I don't know why it's not over over people aren't like telling you oh you can't know this language it it was in residential schools and day schools like people come and speak in their language their original (laughs) language they were definitely told oh you can't do this you'll be punished you are being the devil's words or whatever yeah but a lot of it is underneath the radar. You just need you need language to be able to formulate thoughts or know what's missing to identify it. Oh, so yeah. it, it took me until I was twenty five to know these big things in my that affected my own family. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine like how where my dad was in his own journey when he passed away, yeah. knowing that. But this is. This is stuff we learn, and it's it's incredible that I get to, I have people in the family who I can talk to about this. Yeah, and you're blessed that you're able to learn this stuff, because I I have no idea, I would, uh, I would have no idea even where to start with learning all of these things from my family, because my family is mixed and we're all over the place, but, so my mother is adopted, and so she doesn't really know what her heritage is, and mm-hmm. it's just kind of an unknown factor at this point in time for me uh she qualifies herself as a person of color but she didn't realize that she was a person of color until um later on in her life she was living in winnipeg in manitoba and she had grown up there she was adopted by a white family of either you can get a sick white child or you can get a healthy person of color Oh, that's what they said? Yeah. My mother is a person of color, and she didn't recognize because she was adopted by a white family. And they never talked about her? Oh, well, they just... She always thought that, like, her sister was First Nations, and I don't know what that... She was also adopted? Yeah, also adopted. What What year? Um, I... When was your mom born? I can't disclose that because my mom will kill me. <laughs> okay. Um, when was her sister adopted? Her sister was adopted before she was, so she's older than my mother. Well, we don't have contact with that side of the family. And um, anyway, so my mother was adopted by uh, a white family. And so she grew up her entire life seeing everything as, yeah, I'm a slightly different color, but I'm mm-hmm. still like with this white family. So she grew up thinking that she was white. And it took her until she moved to, it took her until she moved to Calgary to realize that she had overheard someone saying, oh yeah, well, we got this new singer in our band and she's a black lady. And she went, oh no, they got someone else. And they said, oh no, this is, this is Ruth. And she went, what? I'm a person of color. And it just hit her like a ton of bricks at that point in time that she realized that she was viewed as a person of color. And people don't know what I am. 
because of it and it's i i have no problem with it but um so your mom was adopted my mother was adopted so you lost there's I, a strict there's you can't discover that side of your lineage. i or she did some work to find family but that's more of a question to be asking her opposed to me because i don't have all of the answers at this point in time oh yeah and that's fair that's fair yeah <laughs> and i could do the whole ancestry and dna thing but um that is a little bit of a spicy topic for me because I've learned that uh, the Ancestry and 23andMe, all of those DNA sources, okay, it's great to understand your heritage and be able to connect in, but it is it becomes public source information. And it is a very big hindrance for some situations because that is there's no law in Canada against companies using that to look you up and to mm-hmm. find more information about you which can be used in assessing um your insurance just for simple answers like that that's scary to me and i'm not willing to just toss my dna out there even if it is already out there it's just i'd rather not just submit it and make it easier for people to find who i am even though probably there it's being sold off because Ah, other reasons, but that's another thing to talk about. And then about. your dad. Uh, yeah, and on my father's side, so um, it, I believe my great-great-grandmother was Shehalis, and she, uh, they're all from the Nicola Valley region uh, in BC, British Columbia, but Shehalis is generally more viewed as a more southern band just because it's more in like the montana area region okay but uh it still goes all the way up through uh british columbia or at least that's how my family ended up there okay and um also irish uh it that was my family's heritage is first nations and irish uh, i don't have all of the information on my family because uh unfortunately it ended up getting lost in generations and people passing away and just not maintaining records so I don't have any of that knowledge and I want to know it but also this overwhelming fear of what happens if I submit my DNA to other sources because that's so on both your your both your parents yeah and it is difficult it's difficult to, to find out because I think we talked about this and you can talk about it or not because yeah. you have the freedom. This is downtime. Like we, we don't have to like get into yeah. real, truly personal stuff. Though we are personal already. Yeah. Um, your dad, you didn't, you didn't on his side, you didn't grow up uh, celebrating or immersed in your indigenous culture. Oh no, absolutely not. Um, it was just not what we had, and it was just it was it was nothing that i know that he really celebrated he just knew that we had first nations cousins and that was pretty much the extent of it mm. and it was just all in the interior of british columbia um that's the majority of where our family is and or was it's it's a mess but it's a whole lot yeah. to get into but uh that's where my grandfather on my father's side is from and my grandmother is also adopted. Oh! So, yeah, there's there's no knowledge on that side. I, I know that she was adopted by some Australian folks in there, mm-hmm. but that's it. That's all I have for knowledge on my family. So I want to know where I come from and more about who I am so that I can perhaps get a better foothold in like my knowledge about myself and history and maybe identify as 
from somewhere, but I also don't see that as a huge importance, but it'd be nice to know. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because even though in the podcast we are learning about ourselves yeah, and we're centering around my family and their stories right now, it's interesting to me because for people who don't know me, I can, I can, I'll do the same thing. I'll talk yeah. about my parents real yeah, quick. Go for it, go for it. And then um, I do want to get into a few points that I want to point out mm-hmm. about the conversation, but this is really interesting to me. My uncle Don, is, as I said, is my paternal uncle. He is the brother of my father, Dwayne uh, Richard Latticer, who passed away. And actually, I'm going to correct that. My uncle said my dad passed away in 2010. After we cut for uh, that first episode, we actually got into a conversation. And uh, I was just like, actually, uh, dad passed away in 2008. And my uncle was like, no. And I'm like, yeah. He passed away when I was around 14, turning 15. So yeah, uh, just to clarify, my dad, Dwayne Biggs Latticer, passed away in 2008. He is, as I was saying, Métis, but most likely Treaty. If he was still alive, he could qualify. His parents are Edgar and Solange Latticer. Again, Edgar is mixed, uh, Métis, and my mama is French. And then my, I have a, my mom, my biological mom who uh, unfortunately also passed away. Mm. She passed away in 2017. Her name was Carol Lavely or Carol Bouchier. Some people put a Marie Rose in there. It's very convoluted, her name. Long name. But she's, her, her last names have always been, in my mind, Bouchier or Lavely, and she is also Métis. Um, and she's also from the Laclabish area. When I was growing up from like kindergarten to now, but not really now because I'm an adult and I live on my own. You're still growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About it. I guess. Um, I have a third parent. So I lived with my dad and my mom, Tanya, who I don't call her how I differentiate, differentiate my mom. I have my biological mom and then I have the mom who raised me for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um so putting my mom Carol just to the side a bit, I love you mom, uh, I actually grew up with my dad and Tanya, who her name is Tanya Klassen. And for the longest time, I thought my mom Tanya was just Heinz 67 white, because that's what she would say. <laughs> She's like, I'm just everything. <laughs> I'm everything and a cherry on top. And come to find out, my maternal grandmother, who I'm going to be interviewing for this podcast, who is the mother of my mom, Tanya. Again, she is not blood-related to me, but she did raise me, and she gave birth to my little brother and sister. I found out that they are actually... They also have indigenous relations. My grandma is Treaty from way up in BC. Mm, Okay. And that's why I interviewed her, because she was... She has a long journey, way longer than... Well, on my dad and my um, biological mom's side, they all... We knew we were Métis. We, we've been nowhere indigenous. It's none of that um, lost culture. It's just not... We were, I didn't grow up as immersed in it, but it was there, right? Yeah. And it never... There was never a hidden it was, history. It was just not... It was yeah. not. It was known. So for my mom, Tanya, I didn't, I didn't know this. So actually, my, I think my little brother and sister, though they qualify as Métis, they also qualify treaty 
on my mom's side. Interesting. Tanya. So, so I even again, they're not my blood relations, but I consider it important to learn about that history too and that mm-hmm. rediscovery of that indigeneity. Wait. So, question. So, are they? brother like half brother and sister or were yeah. they all three of my parents have indigenous have an indigenous history and for the sake of this podcast i'm focusing more on my dad and my mom who raised me uh their identity so i'm indigenous from all of my parents two parents uh, it's more of a connection to it but again there's still some loss of culture there yeah that i'm trying it's... to rediscover and then on my mom Tanya's side, completely it's did not so, see that coming. <laughs> it's still its its own thing, but it's just... Uh... And that's why I think my family is like a perfect example of how messed up this country is in identifying indigenous people. I understand that Métis is like half French, half First Nations, but, mm-hmm. or half indigenous, but that still doesn't excuse like the fact like, okay, well... When you're you, any percent anything, you should just... Yeah, it's, like you're still it's the blood part quantum. Of it. It's the blood quantum, and like if you want to really get into the politics of being Métis, there are some blood quantum politics that, like, for certain percentages, you wouldn't even qualify. Or say you're full, you're full blooded, and you're part of a treaty, and you grew up your whole life on a reservation or in a band. If there are instances where, um, if you marry out of your culture, yeah. you lose your treaty. You you lose your Indian status. Okay, that's rude. Yeah, marrying into. Anyways, so so audience. I keep saying any. Anyways, but to me, it's just like part of this is figuring out what I know now to be true. Mm -hmm. That's a bit of information about our families, and we are going to go over in this like first episode because we have a lot to say, I guess. Well, I mean, this is the first try, and we. I still have so many notes that I'd like to go over, but I know with learning more about what your uncle had to say that. I'll be able to learn more and maybe some of these questions will just fall into line because there's things that may I'll just hear maybe or I'll we'll have to give him a call and say like hey what I was this about yeah yeah and I have okay so I have po- points right yeah. so we got into that I was born in La Clubish and that I'm glad no one gave me a random person's name yeah uh that the mission is haunted great beautiful yeah uh, UNESCO historic site my dad's actual year of death which it'll either be in the future interviews or I might have set, had that conversation I can't remember and we talked outside about outside of yeah uh, <laughs> the woodland Cree people of northern La Clubish I thought I was Plains Cree because I thought yeah. we live in the plains but we're woodland which is interesting loss of language um oh yeah papa joined the metis settlement in 1932 which was just i, I don't know i just like knowing that year because like oh, that's nice. he would never was not metis but like it's kind of like me when i was 18 and got my identification yeah. card for the first time weird <laughs> um, um not qualified erasure of culture i don't know what the not qualified is about just some people being... Not qualifying as uh, a status Indian or status... Oh, person, yeah, so. me not qualifying yeah. as is that, even though some of my cousins can, and many of my cousins are a part of treaties and bands and all throughout, just me. And then hunting moose and deer in the summer to last the winter. I really enjoyed learning about how you survive yearly and yeah. the produce the um, garden i was even wondering about like the hunting methods as well like well did they use guns or oh like... yeah i was guns okay yeah i wasn't sure like <laughs> nowhere well i wasn't sure because you said <laughs> you, I, I know that you had said like you had grown you'd grown up poor but i wasn't sure like okay well 
Oh, what kind of ammunition were we thinking like rifles or think what of it was... as an investment i think now definitely my family hunts with rifles yeah and I... um but i don't know what they hunt who knows what they hunted with in the past well yeah it's like i i didn't want to like make that i shouldn't make assumptions either <laughs> yeah i didn't want to make that presumption that it was one or the other so it's like what was the hunting method did they use snare traps did they do game hunting in that way did they do stuff like that were they more so lasso and choosing to go with a knife to make a a cleaner cut i am quite confident in saying that they could not use a snare trap on a moose well i mean like you talked about rabbits i am very i know nothing i could be wrong but i'm very confident that 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 would be a very big snare trap but you you had mentioned that about like rabbits being skinned in front of you so oh yeah that that could have been a snare trap i caught a rabbit with my hands that was (laughs) this is that was yeah i cuddle hey look lunch <laughs> all right some um, and pepper yeah uh so we talked about that and then and then oh my mama fishing while pregnant eight yeah, nine months pregnant holy frick the work ethic i can't i can't even i can't even with that yeah. um water and, being taken from the creek which was clean but it's yeah. no longer clean well i was wondering about that is like it's just there's so much to do with like just water purification and hearing about the stone boat i had to i had to look that up what the heck is a stone boat you found a picture yeah so it's exactly how he described it yeah two logs and it still didn't make any sense in my mind of what is this nonsense please tell me and so um it uh and by the way i just because they were poor sometimes when you hear tractor you think big expensive machinery yeah who knows i I could again talk to my uncle about it and get more specific and it could also be in the interview there are certain things where i might like after this level of interviews just go and have a conversation with him again to clarify and and, like figure it out but i'm pretty sure the community is all shared with each other Mm -hmm. to help survival and maybe our version of a tractor is not that version of a tractor everything changes as time goes on because the stone boats that i was looking at had horses pulling them (laughs) and that's not a tractor i don't think like horses can go through the bush but i don't think like that pulling like heavy water i also wrote a point of religion and what it means question mark because Uh, again we'll get into this but like religion is a big part of growing up on the mission yeah and I, I was wondering about, like, hearing about that in the next episode, about uh, your uncle's fading out. He said to shy away from original. Yeah, yeah, shy away from. More so, I was wondering if it was a slow fade away or just a, a cut of, yeah. no, and we're not doing And we'll probably get one. into our own Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Religious I'm, I'm just wondering journeys. about it. I think all of the things that we've talked about touch on it. what he was talking, yeah. what your Uncle Don was talking about, and we want to we learn more, so... Just, oh uh, yeah, day school and the mission we talked about. Yeah, and we sisters also, were mean. Sisters were mean, and we talked about uh, Cree and Machif. Yeah, language. Yeah. Uh, women pipe carriers. I have a final period foam that might like period foam form. Oh my god, I have a final p- point. Yeah. That might like end out the episode. Okay. So do you do you want to like run through yeah, yours? Yeah. N- no, that was pretty much it. We just kind of went through it right now, actually. Of I was just I'm I'm more so anticipating to see what your uncle has to say in the next episode, so that maybe it'll be able to answer some of our yeah, questions. Because I thoughts. I yeah. got questions right now, but maybe I'll learn more with the more that I listen because I know that I definitely will. But 
maybe some of my questions will be answered in that time, right? And next time, maybe we'll have some fun and I'll share with you one of the ghost stories my dad would tell me growing up. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so a big point that I just want to check, because I believe, and I was talking to Savvy about this, yes, this is about us learning and experiencing, but because there's inception going on with us listening to an interview from over a year ago, Mm -hmm. sometimes I say them blanket statements that... I know to be true when my uncle brought up residential schools how there are people in this country who have stated publicly that they view that they see the residential schools in a good light yeah in a kind light and I just wanted to give you the facts really quick (laughs) give you the play-by-play and I think I will also put a a little link in the the bio of these articles from the CBC All I searched in Google, by the way, for anyone who wonders about fact-checking, it's so easy. Politician, because we were talking about politics and religion, politician in Canada who said residential schools are great. I searched, and in, like, the first page, there are three different people working in government that have spoken on this. In more recent years, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, okay. So this was posted March 8th in 2017, last updated March 9th in 2017. Conservative senator defends well-intentioned residential school system. Former head of Truth and Reconciliation Commission shocked by Lynn Bayak's remarks. Conservative Senator Lynn Bayak laments that the positive experiences and good deeds of administrators at residential schools have been overshadowed by accounts of atrocities. Wow. (laughs) They said, specifically, I speak partly for the record, but mostly in memory of the kindly and well-intentioned men and women and their descendants, perhaps some of us here in this chamber, whose remarkable works good deeds and historical tales in the residential schools go unacknowledged for the most part. Who? I just want to say for myself personally and my uncle clearly, I disagree with that. <laughs> it's important that we know this cuz I need to I need to like read this out for the people and then they can go and read the full article because I'm only picking you're certain pick, yeah, moments. And yeah. you're picking the one article opposed to the three that you just mentioned, right? So Oh well this is there three different people. Yeah, so this there's is many just... articles on this one person yeah, yeah, yeah. and how they came back later. It's a whole thing. Anyway. Um so Let's just, I'm going to read it real quickly. The commission, which conducted an exhaustive six-year study of the system, found physical, mental, and sexual abuse was rampant, and some 6,000 children died while in care of malnourishment or disease. Bayak, an Ontario senator appointed by former Prime Minister Stephen Harper in 2013, said she has spoken to Indigenous people who have told her of positive experiences they had while at the schools. Whether or not it's true... You're using certain indigenous people's experience to discredit and devalue another per- indigenous person's experience. Yeah. The fact that there were so many residential schools that you can't just label one to make them all great. The people who maybe didn't suffer too many atrocities, they would never use their stories to diminish what other survivors experienced. I, I just, it's weird. It's weird. Okay. Okay. I'm biased, (laughs) said she has spoken to indigenous people who have told her of the positive experiences they had while at the schools, adding many have kept their Christian faith after it was imparted to them by school administrators. 
kept their Christian faith or is that the only thing that gave them solace from any of the abuse they suffered? I just the wording is very it's making and there are indigenous people who are survivors families who are religious clearly my family was catholic yeah that does not that does not get rid of what actually happened and them being christian does not diminish what they might have said about what they've experienced you can't Hmm. there's so many things i can say on like religion because it's a it's a touchy subject right yeah but it's it having the experience of one for being making it lovely if that's like oh this is a great thing making the experience of one person making the blanket experience for everyone isn't the same it's it's not or just because they are christians and they're claiming all these atrocities happened to them and they're showing you yeah just because they're they kept the faith that was forced on them at the time because they found solace or whatever they found in their own healing just because they chose that religion and chose to keep it that does not negate anything they experienced yeah and it also doesn't negate what anybody else experienced as well or did to them yeah of that religion it's so weird uh this is the quote continued mistakes were made at residential schools in many instances horrible mistakes that overshadowed some good things and also that also happened at those schools she said rising to speak on senator kim's senator kim pate's inquiry on the overrepresentation of indigenous women in canadian prisons a topic bayek largely ignored in her lengthy speech senator murray sinclair who served as the chief commissioner of the truth and reconciliation commission sat in the chamber during bayek's speech and was the first to respond I'm a bit shocked, Senator, that you still hold some views that have been proven to be incorrect over the years, but nonetheless, I accept that you have a right to hold them, he said. He asked Bayek a question about the issue at hand, Indigenous women in prison, but before she could respond, her allocated time ran out and the request for an extension was denied by fellow Conservative Senator Don Pleat, among others. This was not the first time Bayek was sought to paint the residential school system in a different light. At a recent meeting of the Senate's Aboriginal People's Committee, she said those who ran the schools didn't mean to hurt anybody. The fathers and sons and family members of the nuns and priests to this day have to bear the reputation as well, and nobody meant to hurt anybody. The smiles in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission are real. The clothes are clean. The meals are good. There were many people who came from residential schools with good training and good language skills, and of course, there were atrocities as well. I was disappointed in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report, and it didn't focus on the good. The people I talk to are Christians. Oof. Oof. That's, that's got a whole lot of spice in it. There's plenty of people who can be evil of all different beliefs, but just the way that this is phrased. I agree with you, because then what she's trying to do is say, because they're Christians. They can't. Yeah. They can't have. Yeah, no, and if it did happen because of what they did, it was good intentions. Yeah, no, she's just trying to cover herself yeah. in that way. But in my opinion, it's like anyone can be evil, whether you believe that faith or not. Yeah. Research it. It happened a few years ago. There was ongoing discussions for a short time. Okay, so here's another... This is with CTV News. Former Prime Minister Christian called out over comments on residential schools. Former Prime Minister Jean Christian is called out over his recent comments on residential schools after stating he was not aware of any abuses happening in these institutions while he was Minister of the Indian Affairs. This was posted uh, October 25th, 2021. Pretty recent. 
Um, in two interviews promoting his new book that aired on Sunday, one of CTV's Question Period and one on popular French language talk show Tout le monde est en parler on Radio Canada, Christian was asked about his role in Christian, oh my gosh, Canada's residential school legacy. Christian was the Minister of Indian Affairs between 1968 to 1974 under the then Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. He went on to become Prime Minister and saw the last operational residential school closed while he was in office. In the CTV interview, Christian was asked whether he takes some responsibility in light of the continued discoveries of unmarked graves at former residential school sites. They, residential schools, were there a lot, since a long time. We had to manage the problem at the time, he said. We were not informed of any abuse at that time. Asked if he would apologize for his role in Canada's residential school legacy, Christian would say he said that he was focused on the future and noted a lot has changed in the last 50 years. He spoke about the importance of education, stating that the rate of Indigenous people graduating from uni university has grown exponentially from when he became minister to present day. I'm just going to say this. When I was at university, there was a lot of racism experienced by the Indigenous uh, students from a lot of the students, but also certain professors. There was racism and adversity in 2017, 2011 to 2017. So Indigenous people graduating from university exponentially. I'm going to guess that has something to do with the fact that even before this year, where again, there was a lot of adversity faced. Yep. I'm just going to take a wild guess that previously it was very hard for indigenous people to make it in these schools being treated the same as their fellow students. Oh, yeah. And it's weird that they're saying education after talking about residential schools. Again, this is, a, this is just how I'm perceiving this article, but... This is, this is what he, oh, oops, I spoke too soon. I was saying this is how I'm perceiving the article. It's quite, after that's, this is what it says. Oh my gosh. He spoke about the importance of education, stating that the rate of indigenous people graduating from university has grown exponentially from when he became minister to present day. Quote, education is the key. And in those days, that was the system they had. End quote, he that said was forced on them by the government to force yeah. them to assimilate. Yep. In case you didn't hear what Savannah was saying. Yeah, it was a grumbled out. Very that uncomfortable. Was, that was the system that was forced upon people by the government to force them to assimilate and lose their culture and identity. It, it goes on. Okay. Yeah. Because the big thing is he's saying as prime minister and this head of Indian affairs had not a clue that this stuff, these atrocities were happening, right? That's what he's arguing, right? So shouldn't, didn't, was a bystander, but not even a bystander because they didn't know. Yeah. In the Radio Canada interview, Christian said, no one ever mentioned this problem when I was minister, ever, or never. Responding to these assertions on Monday morning, NDP MP and a critic and critic for Indigenous youth, Char youth, Charlie Angus cited a handwritten letter he'd read from a teacher to then Minister Christian that was from St. Anne's Residential School in Fort Albany, Ontario. It was dated 1968, he said. In it, the teacher told him that crimes are being committed against children, that he as Indian Affairs Minister had to step up and do something, and John Christian never responded. It is important that we acknowledge these truths 
that was an ick and that was a long episode oh that was that was quite a bit <sighs> i was worried i would have nothing to talk about we had so much to talk about clearly clearly we had a lot to talk about i learned about you and i learned about you we learned about your uncle and just all this other fun stuff whether you want to call it fun or not but we we learned about all this i think it's stuff. fun to know things yeah. that validate your existence yeah and it, it's just it's fun for me to learn things about myself. And to learn about our history as well. Yeah, yeah. And even though that th this is like the history of my family per se in my community, it is also your history as a citizen of this country to yeah. like learn about these cool things, learn about lifestyle. Well, I, I had no idea what everything was like up north for where you grew up. So it was a learning lesson in... Canada, as well as about you. I'm confident. If anything, we will have something to talk about every episode. <laughs> I am certain on that one, my friend. Um, whether or not uh, by the end of this episode, I don't think I've I've learned something as in like, oh yeah, this is like for sure. This is now I can no longer learn anything about this particular topic. <laughs> I don't think that's where we're at. We'll see what the episode uh, looks like when we listen to it. But there is a lot we talked about, and I'm ever so gracious and yeah. excited. And I'm gonna remind ourselves we got some, we went on some heated tangents. Oh yeah, this is downtime, so we're gonna breathe. Let's breathe together. <sighs> we'll breathe again because threes are good. Third <sighs> time. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for this first episode. I hope you're excited because I still want to know what's next for the interviews. Yeah. I really, really want to learn. Um, I will say that I quickly want to thank the Calgary Arts Development for bestowing... I don't know how to do this properly. To, to, for bestowing a grant onto this yeah. little humble project here. Giving us the ability to be able to make this project happen. Yeah, yeah, okay. That That's smart. We, we, will, go with that. <laughs> we, will, we will become better at closing and intros and everything. But I, I desperately want to thank them. I want to thank the my Uncle Don again and my auntie Noreen who we'll talk about in the future yeah. for their graciousness for having me in their home and allowing me to listen to a little bit of his story I want to thank you all for opening up your hearts and if you were listening to us in the beginning embracing this with you know just chill vibes like, yeah. even even when I was getting heated I was sitting here like I was just so chilled out just drinking my water yeah, just hanging <laughs> hydrating out. I want to thank Savvy Thank for you. joining the podcast. Oh, thank you, Deeds, for having me. I feel absolutely so special and honored to be a part of this. I want to thank... You're welcome. No, oh, no I say thank you. No, I said thank you. And then why did I say you're welcome? That's funny. Uh, it's been a long day. Yeah. It <laughs> um, sounds like we need to get another glass of water here. Yeah. yeah okay. Hold on one second. Okay. But Hydration yeah. break. I want to also thank... Uh, a, a contributing member of our team. We have Kay Hall, who is assisting me on the production of this. So, mm. Kay Hall, shout-outs to you, buddy. Thank you for joining us. Kay Hall is amazing. That's all I'm going to say about them. 
And then I finally, I guess I want to thank Desiree Lattister, who is my older sister, who is our visual artist for this project. Yeah. So when this episode goes up and the promotions go up, you will be seeing her work. And that's something I couldn't do. So <laughs> thank yeah, you. Her work's amazing. So yeah. Um, just in some closing notes, we'd like to uh, do a bit of a land acknowledgement because we recorded here, and we we recorded. Uh, you recorded up north as well, and like mm-hmm. seeing your uncle. But for this part here, we just want to say in spirit and reciprocity. Repro- 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 is it reciprocity? Reciprocity. There we go. In, okay. In spirit and reciprocity, and and truth, we honor and acknowledge Mokinstis and the tra- and the traditional treaty seven territory and oral practices of the Blackfoot Confederacy. Siksika. Kainai, Pakani, as well as the Stony Nakoda and Tsutsina nations. We acknowledge that this territory is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3 within the historical Northwest Métis homeland. We Finally, we acknowledge all nations, Indigenous and non, who live, work, and play on this land and honor and celebrate this territory. This sacred gathering place provides us a, an opportunity to engage and demonstrate leadership on reconciliation. Thank you for your enthusiasm and commitment to join our team on the lands of the Tree 7 territory. Beautiful. Yeah. I guess to end this, as we are all about learning yeah. and chilling, but learning. What is and I'll I'll answer a question you have for me. Okay, maybe, okay. Maybe ask we, the same question. We got a bit. This is how we'll end it, and it's a question that you all can think of too at home, wherever you are in your car. I hope you come back for our next episode next month. <laughs> Anyways, what? <laughs> Savvy. Yes. What is something important you felt you learned? today i learned a lot about you if it's if i'm if i'm not talking about donald and i love how you call my uncle donald donald don if i'm not talking about him or all of that i felt like i got to know you so much better because i didn't know all of the these facts about you and about your family i got to learn about uh and all of like the things that your uncle was a part of i had no idea that he was such a big influence because he wrote about um, making that program in the RCMP and we didn't even get to touch on that this <laughs> episode but that was something that really impressed me and hearing about how he grew up living off the land and all of that stuff and getting to know you better through him beautiful I don't know what to say no, no, it's, it's, oh true no it's, yeah. it's very true that's like the biggest takeaway I guess that I got from this and like getting to know you a little bit deeper and better I can ask you the same question what do you think was the outstanding factor and like thing that you felt like you took away from this I think there was a lot of information oh yeah and we went into a lot of tangents about <laughs> how we perceive our country right now yeah where it could do better <laughs> uh, where we could do better um, that was a lot. That was so much to process. I think the number one thing I learned, though, is that this has been such a brainchild for both of us for so many years. Yeah. That, too. <laughs> um, I think I learned that 
even if we are a bit awkward at times, we could just do the thing. Yeah. Do the thing. We, we have the ability and capacity to do the thing. Do the thing. We're doing it right now. You're doing the thing. I think I, I had so much anxiety about it for so long. Well, look at you. <laughs> look at us. We're both sit- we're both seated like we're like the bosses of a mafia. <laughs> we group. were just hanging out on the floor. Uh, we're sitting on the floor the exact same way, mirroring each other. Yeah. Our leg, one leg is up, one is chilling, and our arms are like like literally we we we're own mirroring each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, we do. That's another neurodivergent. Um, uh, no, but I, that's what I learned. I feel like. There's such a breath of relief in just doing it. And I know I have so much to learn about you, but also I have so much to learn about how to do a podcast of this level yeah. with care and intimacy. I think something I missed out was giving you all like a warning of the content at the beginning, but because I realized that even though these are everyday lived experiences for both of us when we talk about ourselves, mm-hmm. For some people, it may be shocking because they don't understand a life like that. Yeah. So I think um, for future, what I want to do is hopefully prepare people who don't relate to our experiences yeah. so they still can learn that it's... I don't know. I'm After talking about this, I'm not angry. I'm not frustrated. I'm, I'm actually completely like... <sighs> that was fun. Was- kind of... It's, it's weird. Like, even when you talk about the serious stuff, the religion, the atrocities... And you get into it, and and I'm not filled with like rage and down with everyone. And I talk about like white centeredness and non-indigenous peeps and all that. But honestly, I have no anger in me. <laughs> it's just more of a, ooh. So we can talk about it yeah, the in calm, this format, letting it breathe. I think that's like such a beautiful way to end the podcast. Let's, yeah. Whatever you heard, even if it was complex and difficult, um, maybe you related it to it and it triggered something in you. Maybe you have no idea what we're talking about. Maybe you learned something. Wherever you're at, I hope you recognize that you can look at these topics and hear it, but you don't have to stare. And that's me kind of indirectly quoting RuPaul. Mm-hmm. RuPaul once said that you can, and I'm definitely like not getting the quote right. RuPaul said that you can look at the ugliness, but don't stare. Don't live in it. Yeah. We're glancing at these things to learn more about ourselves, but we're not staring. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Of We're learning and letting it happen in a open experience and more comfortable way. Exactly. So we will see you next time. This has been <laughs> Downtime with Deeds. And sometimes with Sav. Featuring Sav. Well, so, yeah. Sometimes with Sav adding a few things that was our, here. That was our original, what yeah. we were going to call it. De- Downtime anyway. with Deeds and sometimes with Sav until you became a permanent co-host. No, that's true. So you were saying this is what? What are we then, Okay. Uh, okay. Let's try take, that. Take round, three. Round take two. Round, round, here we go. Round two. Okay. This has been Downtime with Deeds. Featuring Sav. We're very happy that you stayed with us on this little bit of our journey, and we hope you come back. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to hang out once again, and you'll be able to get yourself a nice, cool, or warm beverage, and we'll be able to just sit and chat about things. Yeah. And right now, we are going to... 
end the podcast and stretch. Yes. <laughs> and oh maybe gosh. chill out and have some good eats. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, maybe we'll see you on the next one. Or you'll hear us for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You won't see us. You'll hear us. <laughs> All right. Um, Talk at you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye.